Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. 2020 is going to be a big year for slow stories, and I'm excited to kick things off with a series of inspiring interviews with some of your favorite founders all season long. But as always, before we get into our main interview, we're opening up the episode with a contribution from rising founder Anissa Benitez, who shares a story that made her stop in her scroll. Here's more from Anissa. My name is Anissa Benitez, and I'm the founder of More By Her. So something that gave me pause this week when scrolling Instagram was a post by Chani Nicholas. I've been reading her book, You Were Born for This, Astrology for Radical Self-Acceptance. It recently came out and I love it. She ongoingly guides readers to reflect. And different from other astrologers I've followed, she claims to have no answers. Instead, she asks readers to open themselves up to questions that only they can answer. She has a very I-don't-know-your-life approach, which makes her a trusting author to me. She's deeply honest. The Post said this, It's about you. Not a title, not a position, not an industry. A million others will do what you do, but never in the same way that you do it. What you bring to your craft is the point. It's the way towards your success and fulfillment. There is no competition. There is only allowing yourself to bring more of you into all you do. Chani. So what I love about this is that the focus is on self. I find we're often looking for something to believe in, belief systems. Little do we realize that this is far from helpful. We should be looking for tools. For instance, religion is a tool, but a tool to have faith in a higher power outside of ourselves. And this is why I love astrology. Astrology is a tool, not a belief system. It's a tool to believe in ourselves. Thanks so much again to Anissa for sharing. Again, the book she referenced is You Were Born for This, Astrology for Radical Acceptance by Chani Nicholas. Now, here's my interview with Jessica Latham of Social Studies. The act and art of social interaction has changed tremendously thanks to the advent of the internet. While technology can serve as a powerful mode for connection, there are a few brands who understand the unique value of gathering around a table, especially if it's good enough to share on the gram. Jessica Latham is one of these people. As the co-founder and CEO of Social Studies, a modern party rental company that takes the guesswork and hard work out of party planning and entertaining, Jessica and her team are bridging the gap between online and offline to create environments that are both shareable and memorable. Jessica's entire career has centered around creating space for people from all walks of life to come together. And this dynamic, community-first approach has already transcended time and space by social studies enriching online storytelling efforts. 
As such, it should come as no surprise that Jessica had a lot to talk about on the topic of slow storytelling. In this interview, she shares some pivotal moments that led to the inception of social studies, along with what she's learned about throwing parties and fostering presence. Without giving too much away, enjoy my conversation with the delightful Jessica Latham of social studies. I'm Jessica Latham. I'm one of the co-founders of social studies. And outside of work, definitely I value time spent with my family and friends probably the most. It's not a surprise, I would imagine, that I love to entertain. My husband and I both share a love for both film and architecture. He's a filmmaker full-time, and I've dabbled a little bit in film as well myself, and you will find us on any given weekend at either Nighthawk Cinema or Alamo Draft House, checking out the latest movies that are out, documentaries in particular we love. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, we also love architecture. We like um, specifically kind of old homes, you know, historically kind of significant homes. We had this crazy house in Palm Springs when we were living in California that was a time capsule literally from the 70s. Um, It was built in 1969 and hadn't been touched since then. And so it was just a trip and a really fun project for us to have together. You know, other than that, We like to do all the things that I think a lot of New Yorkers like to do, which is stay on top of culturally what's happening, either from an art perspective or a fashion perspective, design, etc. I think that it's important to both of us personally, but also in our careers to stay on top of what's happening in the zeitgeist. And so we're constantly consuming those sorts of things. and. You know, if we're not doing that, we're probably sleeping or exercising. Everything you just described seems like it's made its way into your work, especially when it comes to people and connecting and building communities, which seems to be the constant throughout your professional life. And I'm wondering what the biggest change you've seen in people has been overall since you started your career and since technology has also become so embedded in our daily lives. Yeah, it's been a really interesting shift to observe. And I think that we're kind of at a little bit of a tipping point, and I'll get to that in a bit. But I think the main thing that I have noticed is this incessant desire to share um, and to put all of our experiences kind of out into the world for everybody else to either see or um, kind of be a part of as well. And um, sometimes I think that we're focused so much on that desire to share that we're not present in the moment. And I think that in general, people are starting to feel that. Um, You know, Amy and I talk a lot about how we really think as a society, people are craving these human to human interactions and these real connections. And, you know, I think the the tipping point is just this, I think, understanding collectively that there is 
certainly a time and place to snap pictures and share, but equally as important, if not more important, there's certainly a time and place to put your phone down and be with the people who are around you and be present in the moment. For sure. And I know you lightly touched on this, but going just a bit deeper, in what ways do you hope that social studies addresses some of these issues that you've just mentioned and big picture makes an impact on people's ability to connect? For sure. I mean, you know, social studies is about making entertaining more convenient and easier so that hopefully people will raise their hand and they'll say, I'll be the one to host that baby shower or I'll host your birthday party or book club or even just Friday night dinner, come over. And, you know, I think to some extent, a lot of times people don't entertain it maybe because it's, well, number one, it's a lot of hard work, um, but it's also just intimidating. I think if you've never done it before, you look at all these pictures that are out there in the world on Instagram and Pinterest and think, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that. Or I could never pull something like that together. And for us, we're really trying to deliver confidence to people's doorsteps so that they can host in a way that they feel proud of and they feel is really representative of kind of who they are. Um, And then, you know, it's like, great. That part of it is taken care of. Snap a picture, post it on Instagram. And then again, like be present with the people that are there with you and the people that you've invited over. I mean, I just think, I think that these moments that we celebrate are truly the moments that stick with us. They are the tattoos on our brain, right? You think back to like, your 16th birthday party, or your 21st birthday party, your graduation, your engagement party, your wedding, your baby shower, your parents' anniversary party. And I think that really these are the kind of markers in our life. And my hope is that we as a society don't start just blazing over these things because we're not able to actually be there in the moment to enjoy them. And I, I just hope that social studies in a way um, not only encourages people to celebrate these moments and, and um, like I said, be the one to host um, and not be afraid, but also it takes the stress out of hosting so that you can enjoy your own party, you know? Yeah, for sure. Was there a particular party that you and Amy attended that really sort of reinforced the need for this or even with your launch party? Like what were some of the things that stood out to you about why this was the right time for social studies to come to life? Yeah. So, you know, Amy, Amy and I have both, you know, kind of been in the event world for a long time. She does a lot of entertaining. I've actually helped her with quite a bit of the entertaining that she was doing during a really busy time in her life with her kids. And it was the sort of realization that there was this hole in the market as it related to small to medium-sized 
entertaining, the, the type of entertaining where you wouldn't bring in an event planner necessarily, but also the type of thing that you want to feel elevated and nice and special. Um, and for me, it honestly was a baby shower that I hosted for a friend. I, you know, again, you look at the inspiration images on Pinterest and many of them are just so over the top and it takes a lot of work to pull something like that off. And, um, my friend Candace and I, we ended up taking a day off of work and too much money later realized, you know, we kind of threw an acceptable baby shower. And I just thought in a, in a day and age where you can pretty much order anything from your phone, why can't I get everything I need to throw a great party and, and send it back? Because that's a piece of it too, that I find it is a problem in the industry is that there's a lot of waste, um, particularly for this size of party. Many times you don't meet the minimums for the traditional rental companies. And so what happens is that you're either, you sort of resort to using paper and plastic, which is wasteful and maybe not as elevated as you want um, for a particular occasion. But alternatively, you're running around to West Elm and Anthropology and Ikea and maybe buying a bunch of things that you don't necessarily need or have room to store. And if we can get in and kind of disrupt that waste cycle, then I think, you know, we're, we're winning a little bit. We're, do, we're doing the best that we can to help in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously that seems like a really big pillar in terms of the brand that you're building. And I think, you know, getting to the heart of slow stories and building off of that anecdote, so many other people that I know personally and professionally are really longing to build and then sustain something that's meaningful in both their businesses and their lives. But you add in the layer of complexities that come with content and our digital age, and as you mentioned earlier, the need to constantly share these moments. And this is something that I've been talking a lot about in recent months, especially in my work in this space and as a service provider and digital storyteller. And I think there's been a real reckoning for a lot of us in similar industries when it comes to finding a balance in creating these moments and also sharing them with quality and focus as we all try to cut through the noise of a really saturated landscape. And I'm really interested in exploring this through the lens of the rising slow content movement that I think we're all shifting towards whether we realize it or not. And so I'm wondering what all of this means to you and how you would define slow content, especially in the context of what you're doing and building with social studies. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's about quality over quantity, first and foremost. And it's truly something that right now we are trying to find that balance. Um, we launched a blog a couple of weeks ago, and it was so funny because we worked so hard for months and months and months to get the first um, the first few pieces out the door. And I had a realization very quickly that it's like 
giving birth to a baby that then now constantly needs feeding and um you know how do you feed the beast but do it in a way that's thoughtful and do it in a way where we're putting content out to the world that people are actually finding useful um you know and i think i think about slow content just as a concept and it kind of reminds me of what happened in the food industry if you think about the 80s and 90s um you know we're all about fast food and the shift that happened culturally where people were like no 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 this isn't good we need to start thinking about local and homegrown and clean and home cooked and simple and to some extent i think that that's kind of what's happening with slow content and a, a really perfect example of this i was on a a girls trip last weekend it was a, a three day weekend for a 40th birthday party and i took a book with me and this is going to sound crazy but sitting on the beach with like a book in my hands felt luxurious and i think it felt luxurious cuz it just felt like i don't know it just felt like this is like this is what we need this is what my soul needs is to just slow down and actually connect with something in a real meaningful way instead of just like you know flipping through videos on Instagram until I become a zombie and don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of other people that I've spoken to have alluded to stories like this. Um, and it's almost like a hearkening back to where we started. So it's funny to see simple things resurface, even as more technology is introduced in our daily lives. And it's especially interesting to talk about this through what you're doing and the lens of entertaining. And so whether it's through social studies, social media platforms, or the new blog, how do you hope to use content as a tool to get us back to basics and to modernize the story about what it means to entertain? One thing that I've noticed in the industry as a whole kind of leading up to today is most of the players in the entertaining space have put an image out there that very much says that parties have to be perfect. Um, you know, it kind of elicits for me this image of somebody in a sweater set with pearls standing behind a perfectly iced cake and what Amy and I are, are saying, and I think is actually the real truth underneath it, is that parties aren't perfect at all, especially the build up to them. You know, if you're lucky as a host, you're changing into an outfit maybe five minutes before the party starts in a powder room, throwing your hair up into a bun and just sort of hoping that it's all going to come together the way that you had imagined. And so for us, I think the more that we can let our audience into the realities of what it actually is like to throw a party and, you know, to some extent just say, look, it, it's not so much about what's on the table. It's actually about 
what's happening in the room and the connections that you're making. And I hope to goodness that you let your hair down and that wine spills. And by the end of the night, you're dancing on the tables. Like that to me is, is what a good party is all about. It's about the memories that you're taking away and the, um, the connections that you're, you're making with the people who are there. And so that's, that's really what we're trying to do with the content that we're putting out into the world. And, you know, I think we're going to get better and better at it every day. And, um, you know, I hope that it just, it says to people that like, this is accessible and to invite people over, you don't have to feel like it needs to be perfect because that's not at all what it's about. No. And I think even the idea of perfect is being challenged or rewritten in so many ways generally. And also just in terms of the actual slowdown of content, I have seen from other brands this need to put experiences and offline at the forefront of their strategies or approaches. And just based on what you've seen with social studies so far, do you think that there will be any particular challenges that brands will have to overcome when creating these environments for actual connection to take place just as much as for sharing content? You know, I think it's going to be really important for brands to start focusing on the why. You know, I, I, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, you know, and really making sure that these moments are meaningful, not just cool and Insta-worthy. Um, because I think that's where the backlash is coming from. I think that we're, to your point, like we've been living in this society so long that everything seems like face tuned and, there's there's just now a disconnect to that. And I think what people actually want is realness and meaning. And there's nothing wrong with an Instagrammable moment. I mean, you know, I, I, I love sort of a cool setting as much as anyone, a, a mural that I can stand in front of and take a cool picture. Like, that's all great. But as brands, like, what is the meaning behind it? And we think a lot about this at social studies. It's like, okay, we're throwing a party and that's great. And it's beautiful. And that's also wonderful. But what else? Why are we all getting together? And what are we all walking away with? And how can we all be enriched by this experience? Because I think those are the moments that are actually going to stick with people and stick with the consumer. And so as a brand, if you can, if you can figure that piece out, then it's going to make all of those Instagrammable moments much more impactful. Absolutely. Is there a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often at these events? Yeah. You know, maybe if it's okay with you, I'll turn that question on its head and just say, I think the question that people should be asking themselves is, am I present? You know, am I actually listening to the person in front of me? Um, because I think if we're not present and we're not listening, we're never going to be asking the right questions. And so, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, but it's something that I struggle with 
on a day-to-day basis. And I, I try to check myself, even when I come home from work and I'm talking with my husband about how his day was, I, I really, really ask myself, am I present? Am I listening to him? Because if we can listen, then we can ask the right questions and, um, and start to ask questions that are, that are meaningful to people and, and allow us to connect in a, in a more meaningful way. Yeah, that's so important. Do you have any tips for creating environments that can ensure that presence happens? I feel like so many of the events where I feel the most present or grounded happen to be much more intimate, but I'd love to get it outside or a professional perspective on on some things people should think about. Yes, order social studies, number one. <laughs> Shameless plug, but you know, really it it's taking away kind of all the noise around the party and the stress around the party so that you as a host can focus on what's important. And I think it's, you know, I think that there's a number of things. I mean, number one, people who are walking into an environment where they feel taken care of are going to take, I think, that situation um, maybe a little more seriously isn't the right word, but like, I don't know when there's beautiful candlelight and somebody has put real effort into um, creating a special evening for you, you might lingle or I'm sorry, you might linger a little longer. Um, And so that is one way that actually ordering social studies or putting some thought into your environment can help. I also think, to your point, um, more intimate situations are great. Um, you know, parties and gatherings that aren't too big. And the more that you can incorporate in personal details, the better. Um, Amy and I love to do things at our events where we kind of surprise and delight the guests with things that they think like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe. They actually did that. For instance, at our launch party in New York, we kind of secretly found out what every guest's favorite dessert was. And when it came time for dessert, every single person had something different sitting in front of them, whether it was you know, the fanciest dessert from Jean George or just like a Snickers bar, whatever, whatever we found out was your favorite was what was going to be placed in front of you. But, you know, I think it's just about making people feel special, making your guests feel taken care of and, um, you know, and and loved and seen and all the things. And that is what is going to create an environment that, will make you have that, you know, extra glass of wine and stick around a little longer and, you know, I don't know, maybe connect with your new best friend or fall in love, who knows? But I I think it's those details that, that really matter. I want to be invited to the next party that you throw knowing that, Um, but you know, everything you're saying is true. When I had social studies at my Friendsgiving last year, it really spoke to the power of an environment and, you know, really allowing people to feel like that they can take the time to slow down and stick around. And I think my guests stayed 
at least four or five hours and in New York when you're going so fast all the time it speaks volumes to be able to get people out of their own head and into the space around them. That's so wonderful to hear and you know that's really the point it's like how do you create an environment that feels special enough and thoughtful enough that it just encourages people to linger a little longer. You know, they don't want to leave because it feels magical. Yeah, that's a big question and one that could easily spearhead a whole other conversation in itself. But for this particular conversation, I want to ask you one final question that always brings these interviews full circle. And that is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I think we're craving it. I really do. I think that there is this kind of collective void in people's souls that whether we can actually put our finger on why or what that is, I'm not sure. But my theory is that we're our lives feel less meaningful because truly to some extent we aren't present for the things that actually matter and i think if we can slow down like i said listen ask the right questions then maybe we can approach life from a place of love and acceptance but it's hard to really understand the people around you if we're not really listening. And I, I think that as a society, we need to slow down. We need to listen to each other. We need to try to understand each other and put ourselves in another's shoes so that we can approach life, like I said, from a place of acceptance and love and, you know, hopefully move forward together collectively into the future. That was the inspiring Jessica Latham of Social Studies. Head over to social-studies.com to learn more about how you can include social studies in your next party. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Slow Stories and we'll be back with much more very soon. Thanks for listening.